Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 56 of the Kennedy Mile Report, brought to you by Carbonite Pro, online backup for your law office. Carbonite Pro backs up your files automatically and continuously, so you're always protected. Learn more and try it free at CarbonitePro.com. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In the last podcast, we looked at what we like to call the coming legal technology multiverse, and we appreciate the interest the podcast generated. In this episode, we come back to the here and now and focus on some practical ways people are using technology and maybe some better ways they can, they can use that technology that will help all of us. Tom, do you want to tell them what we'll be talking about in this episode? Absolutely, Dennis. In this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we will discuss the idea of digital etiquette and how our use of technology is changing the way that we treat other people. In our second segment, we'll take a question from one of our listeners, and as usual, we'll end with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can begin to use the second this podcast is over. But on to our first segment, which is digital etiquette. It seems that as we become, I think, more and more comfortable with the technology that we use, we we have to learn a whole new set of rules about how to behave around people when we're using that technology. Dennis, you and I both have been listening to a new Slate podcast called Manners for a Digital Age, which I think is is an interesting concept, and, and it got us thinking more about this topic. What, Dennis, interests you most about the idea of digital etiquette, and why did we decide to talk about it in this episode? Well, I think it was a combination of that Slate podcast and just the fact that it seems you're, we're often in situations where we're talking to somebody and next thing we know, they're answering a phone call <laughs> or checking their BlackBerry or, yep. or something else. And um, and just makes you wonder, well, why do people behave that way and can't we just be in the here and now? But I, I think really the motivation was a lot the, the Slate podcast, which I really like the concept. So Slate has created a podcast with its uh, one of its technology writers, Farhad Manju, and its etiquette writer, Emily Yaffe. And and so they debate, uh, or they just deal with the question about etiquette. Uh, the first one was if uh, if somebody calls you on on your cell phone and doesn't leave a message, are, are you obligated? to to uh, call them back and and they sort of bat those issues around it, and sort of from the technology perspective and from a, the etiquette perspective and maybe a generational perspective as well and and although I, I sometimes quibble a little bit with the podcasts because I, I don't know that they actually come to a conclusion on some of these issues I just think it's useful for us to to start to think about uh, think about these things and and I guess there's always been some element of etiquette or etiquette rules with technology, at least informal ones. I know time, some of it goes back to the days of email. Well, you know, I think, frankly, that email is the area where people are the biggest offenders in terms of etiquette. And and part of the reason, I think, for that is that it's the one that's been around the longest. Like you said, it goes back to the days of, of e- well, we are still in the days of email, although I think it's very interesting that, that while 
many offenders today around email uh, may be, uh, I would guess, of, of, the, of the later generations or people who have been using email for quite a while. I think that we're also finding that nowadays, uh, the younger generations who are not using email as often as they are using text messages are essentially becoming big offenders on text messages as, as well. I think that it's, uh, it, it's it, it, as likely that you will see someone uh, wanting to use, uh, wanting to look down at their device and answer a text message, whether they're driving, whether they're uh, in, a, uh, whether they're trying to talk to have a conversation, whether they're in line waiting to order something. I think that uh, finding people looking down uh, is is really a an interesting phenomenon. I've seen it so much that that you know they have the video of the woman who was caught falling into a water fountain at the mall because she was so interested in whatever was on her phone. There have been some debates on whether or not um, that has uh, that that was actually a real video, but there are a number of stories of people seriously injuring themselves because they spend so much time looking down uh, at, at their phone. And, and, and this, I'm getting a little far afield on the idea of etiquette because what people do on their personal time is, uh, is their own business and doesn't really affect other people. But I guess what I come back to is that it's become ingrained in our culture. It's something that we're used to doing. We are used to checking our email uh, or, or looking at our phones almost constantly now. And the more that we do it, the more that it becomes acceptable. And I think that that is a big, uh, a, a big issue here uh, when, we, when we talk about etiquette is the fact that if certain behaviors uh, become ingrained in our culture, it's awful hard to unlearn them or to get people to do other things. Are you seeing it in other areas besides email, Dennis? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I mean, I think there's the the, the texting thing that's that's pretty obvious. You know, there's some Facebook things where uh, that I know we'll talk about because I. Time I still remember the time when you decided to do this mass unfriending of people on Facebook, and you yep. had to think think through all of that. But it's kind of you know as you're you're talking, I'm I'm thinking about something that that the science fiction writer William Gibson once said that uh, or said recently that uh, we used to think of here's the internet sort of out there, and here's the real world that's separate from it, and lately that the internet has really come into the real world. And that sort of, you know, being aware that we can go, you know, somebody asked me a question and I don't know the answer. I go to, I go onto Google through my iPhone to, to find that, or I'm waiting on an, an email or I text somebody for something or, you know, there's this, the, the internet really is always around us. And so I, I think that, that kind of moving together of, of the internet and, and the real world is, is kind of one interesting part of this. But, but I also think, you're right, Tom. There's so many ways that, that technology is is raising some etiquette issues, and uh, I, it was interesting to me that that really recently uh, Robert Half put together a white paper, partially directed at at uh, people looking for jobs, but but it was it was a way uh, a white paper of, of trying to capture some of the rules of good digital behavior. Um, so there are some things out there. There used to be these great uh, blog posts and articles on the web about email etiquette that were, I always thought, really helpful, you know, dealing with subject lines, not capitalizing words to, to make it seem like you're yelling, those sort of basic things that it seems like people have forgotten or 
in, in some ways or haven't really transferred into text and in other areas. Um, but it, to me, it really comes down to like, are uh, my question is really like, are you here talking to me? Or are you just waiting to for the next time you pay attention to your device? And I think that's what really has thrown us off on etiquette and why we think about etiquette, because it's just rude to me to say, look, I'm trying to talk to you and and you're you know, you're ready to pick up your phone and answer it uh, at, at at any second. So, I mean, I guess it really comes down to some of the etiquette stuff really are what motivates us are some of our pet peeves. So I don't know, Tom, what are the things that, you know, other than I guess somebody turning away from you and taking a phone call, what are some of the, the pet peeves you have with technology, you know, whether it be a device or social media? You know, before we get to that, I want to mention uh, another email-related issue because I think that, that not only – um, are people paying attention to their device because they they want to or need to? I think, and I'm starting to see this a lot, um, that business executives are using their smartphone, their BlackBerry, their iPhone, whatever it is, um, as a tool, as a tool of power in meetings. I've been in many meetings where uh, I've been sitting around with several relatively high-level executives, and when they get there, they will put their smartphone on the table and to me, and and for some people, this is this is borne out a lot. Uh, I take that as a statement from the executive: either you're going to interest me, you're going to capture my attention, or I'm going to do something that's more important to me. I am going to. This is my. I'm throwing down the gauntlet, and you must command my attention, or else I'm going to go look at the email. You know, I think though that that even if you are interesting, uh, even if you do keep their attention, I don't think that stops them from looking at things. I mean, my my. My personal business practices, when I'm meeting with a client, I do not even look at my phone until the meeting is over. If the phone happens to ring and it's a phone call, I will look at it to see if it's an important emergency type call, but I will not look at my phone for email, for text messages, for anything until either the meeting is over or during a break. I think that to do anything else would be really unprofessional. I think on either side of the table, but frankly, but definitely from the lawyer side of the table. Let me go through a couple of what I think are my biggest pet peeves with new technology today. Um, one of them is, uh, is is really not new technology. It's an email pet peeve, and it's the thanks email. I absolutely abhor people who, and no offense to anybody out there who sent me this, who send me an email in response to something that just says thanks. I have now spent the time to open your email up that says thanks. I appreciate it if if you're if if you are appreciative of something that I've done, but I don't need to see that extra thanks. I think that that's a waste of of an email and it's a waste of my time to take a look at that sort of thing. Um, I also have a pet peeve about uh, following somebody on Twitter and getting an auto tweet back from them with some sort of marketing message. Uh, I I don't necessarily mind an auto tweet back that says, "Hey, thanks for following me. Hope we can stay connected." I that's sort of an to me, I'd really rather just follow them and be done with it. But uh, the the tweets that come back to me automatically that say, uh, thanks for following me. Um, I'd like to make your business dreams come true. So let me know and visit me here and I will blah, blah, blah. And it, that really, really, really drives me crazy. Um, I think that if we talked about talk about sites like LinkedIn, I or or sometimes even Facebook, um, it annoys me a lot if I get an invitation from someone that I don't know and that person hasn't taken the time to introduce themselves to me. How do I know you? What makes me want to friend you? It may be somebody that I met once at a meeting and I cannot 
absolutely for the life of me remember who you are, I'd, I'd like to know that. So take the time to personalize your message when you invite somebody, especially if you don't know them well. I also don't like, and it winds up being from the people that I don't know, getting reminders to accept a connection. If I get an, a, an invitation from somebody that I don't know, I, uh, I, I, I will usually just leave it for a while and see what happens. And I will begin, I will continue to get reminders from that person reminding me to accept it. And that usually leads me to clicking ignore and I ignore that invitation. Don't be so desperate to have a connection that you have to send reminders to people to, uh, to, to, to link or to connect with you either on Facebook or I can't really do that on Facebook, but at least on LinkedIn. So Dennis, what are your top pet peeves? You know, I, I think that I agree with you on the, the one, the LinkedIn, the Facebook, the other invitations where somebody doesn't at least, I just think it's sort of rude in a way not to, to say, hey, here's who I am. Here's how I know you. Here's why I want to be connected to you. I, I mean, to me, that's sort of an automatic that, that you should do. Um, so that, that bothers me. And, and then that, usually I go and I look somebody up and, you know, try to figure out if I do have, you know, some connection to them. And if I don't, then I, I kind of wonder you know, why they, they came to me and they, they might be great. They might like, have liked an article I've written or something like that, where I'd be happy to connect to them, but they're, they're sort of out there and, and I form a little bit of a negative opinion of them. It's sort of, a lot of the things I don't like really fall into what we once talked about is presumptuous computing. Right. So the people who assume that despite the hundreds of emails I'm getting every day, that I really want to be automatically subscribed to their new newsletter, you know, those sorts of things. Right. Uh, I, I, you know, the sort of status oriented emails, really you know, poor subject matter lines, all those sorts of things where you say, hey, we're all in this technology together. It's overwhelming. We all understand that. We all understand information over load. So everything that I can do to help somebody else, um, you know, I try to do. So good subject matter lines, those sorts of things. Um, those I think are great, uh, are, you know, are a big help. And I don't know that you've, I would almost turn those into rules. So, and, you know, other pet peeves I, I have, um, you know, I generally can go with the flow on a lot of this stuff, but usually the things where people just, as in the real world, people seem sort of careless or right. or just sort of rude. They're not paying. They're paying attention to something else, or they're not, they're not, you know, considering who the audience is, or they, you know, sort of advertise or you know make a wear a badge of not knowing technology or how to use it in a way you're kind of like you know come on give me give me a break so i i, I want to say on on some of this etiquette stuff that is common sense but i'm not really sure it is common sense anymore because the technology is complicated and you know things go across and i don't i you know different technologies i'm not really sure that all the email uh Etiquette rules apply to instant messaging or apply to social media. So I'm not not really sure that the traditional answer that I might have given of of good common sense um, really works any anymore. Tom, I'm, do you have some sense that maybe it's common sense plus, or we have to have a little bit training beyond common sense? No, I think that's right. I think that there's kind of a combination of both. I um, I, I think that a lot of it's common sense. I think that there are. Th <laughs> There are that sort of think before you click issues. Do I really want to do that? There are some 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 
analogs to the analog world, I guess is how I'd say it. Uh, there, there, there. When you're out there on the digital world doing things, there are comparisons to the physical world that you should think about and you should understand and make some wise decisions. But I think you're right. I think as technology changes, as we see new tools like what the heck is Twitter and how do I get on Twitter and do things? And and there are some specific rules that have sort of sprouted up uh, amongst the users and kind of a general, generally recognized and accepted rules. And understanding and knowing those, I think, is important. I, I think it also has a lot to do with um, the idea of the technology that you're using and, and whether you actually know how to use that technology. My best, one of my best examples for this it has been just, just a very simple email issue and that's the idea of the reply all I see so many people replying to all and I talk to so many people um, in, in my work who complain that the reply all is probably one of the worst email features they have in their company and I have to ask why are people doing this because Oftentimes, people, uh, when they reply all, they only mean to actually address the person who's sending the email out, and that information is useless to anybody else, uh, to, to, to anybody else who's receiving it. So I've got to believe that that's either carelessness, it could t totally be carelessness, or it's just not understanding what a reply all means. A couple of years ago, I think the State Department uh, may have gone so far as to turn off reply all within the organization after after one incident where so many people were replying to all that there were literally millions and millions of emails flying around that shut down the mail server. And you know, used improperly, reply all is a is a big space hog and a and a, and a really uh, really inappropriate way of dealing with email. But but. Is that just that we don't get it or that uh, we don't know how to use the technology? I mean, that's a good question. I think it's really a combination of both. Dennis, in the time that we have left, do we want to cover um, maybe some other specific questions, uh, kind of a la the Slate Manners in the Digital Age podcast? Yeah, I mean, I had a, a couple ideas, and, and, and I agree with you on that reply all because I, I think that uh, – you know, you'll be in a meeting for an hour or maybe you get up in the morning and say, oh, my God, there's, you know, 20, 30 messages in the yep. last hour. And it's like it's a bunch of reply alls to something that you were sort of tangentially CC'd on. Um, yeah, Tom, I thought I, I don't want to waste the time, uh, uh, waste the opportunity in this podcast to to uh, to have you uh, so we can have have you talk about uh, the great unfriending uh, uh episode you did in Facebook and how you thought about that. And because I think other people um, have to face that. I mean, that's sort of an etiquette issue for me when you, uh, as people use Facebook more um, and, you know, unless you're really good about your settings, which not everybody is, that some of some of your Facebook friends can do a lot of stuff that's a little bit embarrassing to you that other people can see. So I know that you sort of went through that whole unfriending process and I thought it might be good to have you talk a little bit about that. You know, when I did that, I did not consider that to be an etiquette issue. I, I, I guess in retrospect, it was, but I was, I was 
really using it as an exercise in deciding how I wanted to use particular tools. And I, I may have talked about this before on previous podcasts, but essentially what I did was I made a decision at a point in time about two or three, four years ago, can't remember how long ago it was, where I decided that I was going to use LinkedIn for my professional networking and Facebook for friends and family. And so at the time, everyone that I was friends with, or well, many people that I was friends with on Facebook, uh, I'd never met before. They had connected with me through other attorneys, thinking attorneys that I did know, thinking that this would be a good opportunity to network. And for many people, it is a good opportunity to network on Facebook, depending on uh, the, the the network that you want to pursue. But that's not what I wanted to use Facebook for. I wanted to use it for friends and family. I wanted to be able to post stuff that was personal to me and not to have other people be able to see it. And so I went through and I, and I had a very basic rule, which was uh, if I've met you once, then you can be my friend on Facebook, which is still a pretty broad rule because there are a lot of people I've met once that I don't want to tell my deepest, darkest secrets to, but it still was a pretty bright line rule. And I wound up unfriending, not a lot, maybe 40, 50 people that were my friends. Um, Nobody really complained. Nobody tried to friend me back. But uh, it was a it was a decision that I haven't regretted, and I think most people should make it depending on how they want to want to follow people. Dennis, do you have a, a, a question you want me to throw at you? I can throw one of the questions that I came up with, uh, an etiquette question. You you game for that? Yeah, sure. Try okay. one. Here's my question. Should you friend your boss or coworkers on Facebook or LinkedIn? Well, I, I actually have formulated an approach to that. And my general rule is, is not to um, but it's sort of based on my historical use of both of both of those tools. So I do not go out and try to add somebody I work with as a LinkedIn or Facebook connection. Um, but on the other hand, if somebody at work uh, on LinkedIn asks me to to be a connection, I again, it's sort of an etiquette thing. I sort of feel it's rude not to do that. So I do end up with with people I work with on LinkedIn, Facebook. I just say you know Facebook is something else for me. So it'd be uh, really an unusual thing where I might friend somebody on Facebook. It would be somebody that I worked really closely with and, and had you know did things on on the outside with anyway. So it would be an unusual situation. So, but I've really tried to to formulate that, and and I've talked to a number of people recently who who take that that similar approach. Um, I had one for you though, Tom. Is there an approach, or really should you? When should you uh, look down at the at your BlackBerry or or cell phone and and check your email or take a call when you're in a conversation or, or a meeting or other business setting? Is there a good approach to that? Well, before I answer that, I want to really quick come back and say that I follow the same general approach on LinkedIn as you do, uh, and 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 that I I will friend or excuse me connect with coworkers um, on LinkedIn. But the one caveat and the one thing to 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 be wary about, and I am not saying this from a personal standpoint because that's not happening to me or and hasn't happened to me. But if you ever decide you want to leave your job and if you want to uh, use your LinkedIn connection to find another job, uh, then make sure that you're not just sending a broadcast all email out to everybody. Pick and choose who you want to talk to and communicate directly with them because um, it 
the same thing as 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 friending your boss on Facebook. If you post those pictures of uh, how late you stayed up last night uh, on Facebook, and then you don't show up until noon, your boss is likely to know about it. Um, to answer your question, I. I, I what I what I said before I think still holds. I will um, I will not either take a call or check me mail during a business meeting uh, unless that call is an emergency. I will if the phone rings I will quickly take a look at it and see if it's something I need to answer. If it is not an emergency call, then I will press ignore and I'll send that straight to voicemail. Um, email, I will not even look at the phone. I will not take it, do anything with that phone until my uh, my meeting is either at a break or is over. And I think that, that frankly, from I, I work as a consultant now, but it, I don't think it matters whether you're a lawyer or a consultant. You're still working with a client and that client deserves your undivided attention. So I think that that's, in my opinion, the best practice for that. Yeah, I have a limited number of people who uh, who call me on my cell phone time, as as you know. So usually, if my phone is ring, well, my phone is always on vibrate. But if if there's a call, it's to, it maybe from my wife or my daughter. So I will check, and but I excuse myself and let people know that this might be from my my wife or our daughter, and I check it. If it's if it's not, then I, I very clearly to people uh, don't don't answer it and say I don't know who this is or this is not as important as 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 talking to you. So I, I try to, to to be polite to people. I realize as we're having this discussion that, you know, the times that I do check email in a business setting or like I say I'm at a conference or something, uh, it really is I'm being rude. I'm sort of signaling that that uh, what I'm listening to is not as interesting as That's what right. might be in my email. Yep. So exactly. I, I guess I need to 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 uh, to keep that in mind. Tom, I mean, we mentioned the this the Slate podcast, and uh, I found the Robert Half White paper. Uh, there's not really like a Miss Manners for the digital age yet, but I know nobody's able to locate more resources than you. I didn't find a lot out there. I just wondered if <laughs> I wondered if you had found a few things. You know, I I didn't, and I think it's because uh, there there may very well be, and if our listeners know of anything, then please let us know. There may very well be an, a digital etiquette page that we're just not finding. I really think that um, I, I really think that 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 there are a couple of basic rules, and and this comes under the common sense. I think that one, pay attention understand what you're doing, use your common sense, don't be careless in what you're doing, uh, following those two basic rules. And then if you really don't know, learn about the technology that you're using, understand it. The more you understand the technology, the more you'll have sort of an innate sense about the best way to use it. And and by using it with other people, you'll get an idea of any etiquette that surrounds it. And then finally, if you just don't get it, ask your friends. Your friends are out there. You've got a social network. Use the social network and ask that question and see what people uh, are doing on their end. Dennis, take us out of this section by letting us know what you think we ought to do and uh, your parting thoughts on this. Yeah, I I really like Slate's podcast as a way to... to raise the issues. Um, it really is surprisingly easy to irritate people with with technology. And it's not just our pet peeves. You know, um, I'm sure that I irritate some people or have uh, with the way I use technology. I try to be try to be good about it. She said, I don't see a comprehensive etiquette rule book yet. Uh, but I, I think people are really starting to think a lot about it. Um, common sense is one basic approach. The the you know the classic golden rule is you can never go wrong with. But uh, I think it's really beyond common sense. I think you're right, Tom. People really have to learn how to do the technology. And we need to start to think about what it 
what it looks like to people when when we're rude to them and and we go you know go to the internet instead of dealing with the people right in front of us. So I, I think we need to get started on that now. I agree. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and Clio, online practice management for attorneys at goclio.com. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to talk to us about the role of security in cloud computing. Jack, what about security? Are there any ethical or security-related concerns that need to be addressed with cloud computing? We're starting to see the first ethics opinions come out on cloud computing, and the early proposed ethics opinions like that from the North Carolina State Bar indicate that there are no ethical issues relating to the use of cloud computing in a law firm, but that as with the use of any third-party provider, an appropriate amount of due diligence needs to be undertaken to verify that the provider you're using has implemented an adequate level of security and privacy precautions and is essentially taking due care with your confidential client data. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. We always encourage questions from our audience, and we have one today. Here it is. I'm starting to see and hear a lot about QR codes, including the one I see on Dennis's blog. Frankly, they look like squares filled with patterns of dots. <laughs> what are they? What do they do? And why should I be using them? Tom? Well, you know, I like that. That last question, I think, is a good question uh, because I'm I'm not enamored yet of the QR code. Uh, the QR code uh, is short for something called quick response. It is a barcode. Essentially, if you look at it, it looks a lot like the barcodes you see on packages or on, on books or things like that. It is readable by a barcode reader and it can actually be read now by camera phones. I have. Uh, there's a number of different apps that you can download for the iPhone and I'm sure for the Android phone that allow you to read these, and um, what it it, you, the, it can encode various types of information. It can be text, it can be a URL, it can be any kinds of other data that you might want to want to put in there. I, I think that uh, that what do they do? Usually, they're used to to send people to either other information or a URL or something like that. And this is where I start struggling with the value of the QR code. I know that they started coming up a lot during ABA Tech Show, and people have shown that they're using QR codes on their on their business card. And, and I think that to a certain extent, they, that shows that people are, are keeping up and are technologically savvy. But I really think that a QR code needs to deliver some value. I, I, I saw a QR code on a business card once, and I scanned it with with my app and all it did was take me to the to the firm's website to the lawyer's firm's website which to me wasn't very useful um, what was useful to me was I there's a, a salad place here in town that I love to go and get salad and they have a little newsletter that they put out on the table for you to read while you're eating and there was a QR code there I scanned it and I was taken to a page where I got a coupon for coming to their page and that was something that I would not have able to 
would, would not have been able to see otherwise by getting to that code. And so I think that for a QR code to be valuable, it has to give some something more than what uh, than what we can already get to. It has to be maybe a hidden web page that isn't searchable that has uh, other information. Um, I, I, it need maybe a resource, maybe a link to a white paper or a document that someone's written on a subject um, that shows. Thanks for taking the time to learn more about me. Here's a special extra bonus for you. Am I am I way off base in in wondering about the value of QR codes? How do you feel, Dennis? Um, no, I think you're right on. I mean, I I think that, uh, but they're they're interesting because there's there's a lot of potential there. And so right. I've been playing around with it, and I got and the great thing about the QR apps on the iPhone and other camera phones is they're free. Um, but I was reading an article in the St. Louis Business Journal about uh, advertising agencies that were starting to use uh, QR codes for different things. And there were a couple of QR codes in the article. And so I just tried out the scanning app. And, and you're right, it took me to their web page. But... Um, and, and sometimes like a sub page of their web page, a little more focused. Uh, but I thought it was really interesting as a way to say, hey, now, like I was mentioning earlier, we're sort of the internet is now coming into the real world. So all of a sudden, really quickly, I can scan this with my with my phone. It takes me onto the internet. I get the extra information, and I don't have to I don't have to key in a long URL or, or do anything like that. And so. I think even in that simplest form, it has great value. And I think your example, too, of if you give me an offer or a coupon, then that makes it even more interesting. Or if, uh, you know, uh, there's a number of people who have given the example of there's a QR code on a movie poster or a concert poster, and I scan that, that takes me to a page uh, where I can, you know, find out what seats are available. Maybe I can buy a ticket, mm-hmm, you know, the tickets mm-hmm. I want, all in one seamless step while I'm walking down the street. And so it's that potential, I think, that becomes interesting with QR codes. I mean, I just put on my blog, you know, as you said, people were talking about a tech show, and I said, well, I would put it up there, see if it generates some conversation. I'm not sure it will be useful to people, but it would if somebody printed out, a, you know, a, a blog post and then wanted to get back to my uh you know my my blog later when they when they were using their iphone or 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 smartphone so i think it's interesting and to go back to what i was saying earlier it is that that way of how the the internet is becoming part of of the the real world as well nope i i totally agree i think we both agree that qr codes are something that uh are very interesting and have a lot of potential. So I think we're both looking forward to see where they go in the future. Before we go to our parting shots, uh, let's have a word from firm manager from LexisNexis, a leading provider of information and business solutions. Try it out free at myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, 
Or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. If you like listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, you might also like the podcast, Law Technology Now on LegalTalkNetwork.com. And now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Uh, my parting shot is a whole bunch of parting shots. David Pogue of the New York Times did an article this week called The Ins and Outs of Using Gadgetry. And it's an entire page of some tips you know about, some you might not know about, of using different types of gadgets and things to think about. It's at nyti.ms slash jj capital s little u capital c little y uh, or just google david pogue ins and outs of using gadgetry great fun article you know i want a qr code just for that url that's a hard one to, <laughs> Sorry about to learn that. i've also loaded up on my uh, parting shots as well i i was uh writing work on my latest ABA journal tech column and it's about uh, shortcuts and keyboard shortcuts and I just realized that um, these keyboard shortcuts sometimes are overwhelming because you see like this whole long list of keyboard shortcuts but really if you just learn two or three things that help you um, they, they really make your life just a little bit easier and the great thing about a keyboard shortcut is instead of going to the mouse you can keep your, your fingers on the keyboard and do things a little faster but sometimes there's these nice keyboard shortcuts that really help you so if you're using a Windows machine and, and you always wonder what that little Windows key is down there you the windows key combinations can be really helpful so there's use the windows key with a d and all of a sudden you're out to you've minimized every all the windows you're back out to the desktop it's a really handy thing so if you're used to like minimizing all, all the windows you have open here's like one step you get it all done we've talked about the you know the control print screens um you know as a way to take a screen do a, a screen capture you can paste into a powerpoint slide or or do something else um if you don't like going up to the to the print into the menu to do print and then selecting your printer you can do a control p and be right there um and i don't think you have to learn a lot of them but it's just like two or three uh keyboard shortcuts can just make your life just a little bit easier it's not like they save you a big quantity of time it just makes your life a little bit easier and and i've start to like them in small doses even though i'm not really a keyboard shortcut person. Yeah, I use probably four or five shortcuts and I've got to believe when I see people doing things the long way after I know these shortcuts, I ask I ask people how they could, could do that uh, after seeing how much time it saves me. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, is available on our show notes site, which I promise is coming. I sound like a broken record, but I promise it's coming back to tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. Mind your digital manners and subscribe to this podcast in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.
Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.